You're listening to BNF Podcast, where we integrate actionable interventions, intuitive therapy tools, mindfulness, and technology for today's modern mental health therapist. Each week, we take a closer look at a niche population as it relates to our monthly theme. Each episode is pre-recorded as part of a live continuing education lecture with online CEUs available at mytherapies.org slash BNF. I'm your host, April Neff, LMSW and private practice therapist. Welcome to today's episode of BNF. Hello, welcome to episode three of the BNF podcast. Today, we're going to visit this month's theme, Attachment, as it pertains to the population of adolescents ages 13 to 18. Let's begin with diagnosis and rule outs. It's easy enough to start with the diagnosis of reactive attachment or disinhibited social engagement disorder. Both are a result of a failure of attachment. Merely rad is when a child or adolescent refuses to be consoled by another adult. And with disinhibited, we see more traditional behaviors associated with rad prior to the DSM-5. Disinhibited will present that a client doesn't appear to distinguish between whether they have a relationship with a person that they barely know and then they attach. They could present like a teen saying, we're as close as sisters. Though through some probing and reality checking, you will find out that they have met within a short time, like a week, a month. Also, you do your best to rule out PTSD and acute stress disorder which while they can appear comorbid with RAD or disinhibited, they do rule each other out. All of them have a background in trauma and neglect. Adolescence is a critical time for attachment. Finding safety and attachment at this time is the last major milestone before adulthood. Without achieving a secure base during this stage, you can expect the attachment trauma to develop into a myriad of potential personality disorders based on their maladaptive coping mechanisms used to meet their needs. I cannot restate this enough in therapy. Forming a safe attachment base at this time is critical in developing healthy relationships with themselves and the world around them. Now we're going to shift to where we begin. In the office. So what does this look like in our offices? When a teen arrives in my office who's struggling with attachment issues, we've reviewed their early social history and we know that there was some severe interruption of engagement with their primary caregiver. This can be through divorce, loss, grief, incarceration. There are several reasons, but we know that there was a break in their attachment. The primary complaint in my experience is he has attitude, lack of respect, at risk, sexual behaviors, depression, anxiety. During this time, parents will identify several reasons why that again have nothing to do with attachments. A key point at this moment is to listen to the client discuss the problem from their perspective. When you complete grounding work, they will describe themselves as empty, having hollow feelings, or a lack or range of their feelings. They often will evoke a sense of loss, just sitting in the room with them and their ability to communicate what it is they want in therapy, but mostly that they don't feel this way anymore. There are some instances with suicidal thoughts that must be explored and when needed, developed to address a safety plan. Let's go ahead and move on to a case study with Adam. Adam. 
For the purpose of our work, we're going to discuss my case study, Adam. Adam came to me, a freshman in high school needing therapy. Highly motivated, intelligent, and resourceful. He found my profile on Psychology Today and gave the number to his parent to call. This showed me a sense of willingness. The first session, without a parent visiting, he alternated between discussing how he hated and loved his foster parents and foster family, alternating every week, and reporting a sense of lack of feelings and emptiness at the same time. His tone and verbal skills always over-identified intellectually, though when we discussed his trauma, his voice would drop and regress to one-syllable words. Through family therapy, we process the empty parts of his life story, the things that were missing, and established a more secure base of trust with his foster mother. We also address the false front of utilizing his large vocabulary to present a mask between myself and him, as though he could distract me with enough words and we would avoid holding him accountable in his own avoidance of both his DBT skill homework as that presented in therapy and talking through his part in the daily struggles with the foster family. He identified he didn't want to engage with his family, the most appropriate source for secure attachment, but through his peers. As the treatment progressed, Adam's biggest challenge is to reduce his black and white thinking and accept that others around him cannot exist in an all or nothing perspective. The concerns that a parent may be looking at are finding moments to connect, even when valid connection will drive the client away. Engaging with the teen on these terms is engaging in, losing in, a, in a losing power struggle. The best course of action is to present two choices during these interactions and not be overly invested emotional at the choice selected. You can't give them something that you don't want to happen as a choice. You need to be okay with both choices you present. I would refer again to the illusion of choice method in last week, presenting two choices that ultimately lead to the same destination. Failing that, choices with a natural consequence that you both can live with. When it comes to motivating change, I offer two tips. First, your positive experiences need to outweigh your negative at a two to one ratio, if possible, three or four to one. Whenever engagement or conversation isn't about a chore or task, we gradually begin to associate engagement with positive feelings. Don't presume that we will feel natural or welcome to a child with RAD. In session, I've heard it best described as really scary whenever something good is happening because that sense of something fear-based happening at an engagement is a learned behavior not easily dropped. What this means that if you've been screamed at every day for any length of time, you're not gonna feel safe as someone shouting from the bottom of the stairs, hey, we're going out to eat tonight. You're going to have a general sense that something bad needs to happen now, and you're gonna drag your feet if you come down at all. All because shouting is followed by something painful, and you wanna avoid that. Secondly, once you engage in a power struggle, you've lost. Digging your feet only assures that you're going to win, but the relationship loses, as you will prove again that adults can't be trusted and that might will always win. Why don't we shift now away from how to break something and onto how we can fix it? Let's talk about our interventions. So our main interest here with teens is building those positive experiences. 
At home, our homework is all going to be about reframing our daily conflicts into pro-social statements that ask for needs instead of behavior that we don't want to see. Entire family sessions may be breaking down our conflicts and seeing what triggers what and how we can address the needs of halts, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, before we ask anything of each other. This provides a major benefit as we stop seeing attacks as personal and attribute them to situations. We're shifting our behavior to recognize our internal cognition that a person wants to hurt us as fundamentally true and replacing it with the positive self-talk that they do not want to hurt us. They just can't help us in that moment because they're not meeting their needs and focusing not just on ourselves, but meeting that need before we ask for that in return. So Kanisha this week asked for more DBT. Hi, Kanisha. So for this week, I'm going to review some DBT skills. In the office, I've purchased a really excellent card game called DBT Deck, which I will link in the blog post. I am not an Amazon affiliate, but that's where I bought them. I will lay them out fan style and ask a client weekly to choose four cards. The deck itself lists 101 different cards and ways to use them in sessions, but this is my chosen activity. As each card is read, I then tell the client to sort them from lowest to highest based on difficulty. This is so important because it includes two tasks that are often missing in therapy. First, we're manifesting the homework in a task the client completes in real life. And then we're also shifting the client from an emotion-based mind to a rational mind or wise mind as they engage in right brain thinking and they're numerically placing these cards in order. After the client completes this task, I ask them to teach me the skill in their own words. After they teach me the skill, I read the client and I let the client know if I understand it differently. And then we discuss it. At the end, I always encourage the client to pick one card and I pick the other. Take out their phone, take a photo of the card, turning the card into a transition object to take home. Their assignment often directly comes from the card and I have a data tracking sheet I'll enclose on my blog that tracks the card three times. The first time is showing the skill was introduced, then reviewed and mastered, or at least exposed to on three separate occasions. I just write in the date on the spreadsheet. So I'm going to engage in this activity now and review a few cards. I drew four cards at random. The first one I drew was dealing with distractions. This card talks about how distractions are ever present. Getting frustrated doesn't serve you except as a reminder to return to mindfulness. I would ask a client if they felt like this recently, that they're easily distracted. Most people are. I would then ask the client in this room to check in at this point. Are they feeling distracted right now? By what? What does it take for them to return back to being present right here? Let's move to the next card. Fast, be fair. This card talks about being fair to yourself and others. Think about your expectations right now. Do you hold yourself or others more accountable? How would it be for you to ease up on that or even raise the bar until they're closer to being equal? This I would process with my client about their self-talk. Are they mean to themselves or nice? I would have a general sense of the person's self-talk at that point in the session But then again, sometimes I'm surprised. 
The next card is opposite to emotion, O2E, for anger. This card asks you to assess whether you're angry at a person and can do better to avoid them until you calm down into a more rational state of mind. As with all the O2E cards, this one encourages you to behave the opposite of your gut reaction. Be mindful of whether this changes your feelings towards the person. Personally, I've always found that the ability to remain kind is a bit like acid for both parties, trying to do something when someone's just vinegar on an open wound to you. It helps me to reflect back if my actions at this time were something I would want. Whenever we have a shame-based reaction, I always want to say, were my actions something I would want to be judged by in a court of law? It helps keep me accountable. I might share a personal story at this point where the point of the parable is to win out in the end by maintaining control of yourself while another person obviously has lost control and acted out in anger. Everybody seems to find those stories funny. Next one is one that I find incredibly important. Improve prayer. This card is one I approach very carefully, even though I believe so strongly in its power. My faith isn't your majority-based cardinal popular faith, but daily prayer is an important aspect to me. I like to present different cultures and how they pray, mine included, and encourage the client to reflect on prayer itself. We all have inner self-talk, especially in times of stress. Who do we feel we're talking to? When hearing voices is associated with mental health, Sometimes it's nice to reframe and educate kids that our inner voice exists in all of us and is there to help us. Now, depending on the client, I would suggest a card and they choose one or suggest both and assign them for the week. We might manifest this at this point by talking about how it would physically be practiced for the next week. Increasing this skill is so beneficial to the client and it's a great takeaway for themselves when your time has ended. Now we're gonna move forward with introducing technology. This week, we've just a few points on integrating tech, and this all includes increasing those positive experiences. Again, using apps you could be looking for and sharing with positive images and quotes on social media, or even just sitting together and going through an app like iFunny and reading memes, quotes, and just sharing a laugh together. The key aspect in doing something like that is usually it's an isolated thing to sit there and look at your screen. And we're going to turn it into a pro-social by doing it together. Secondly, have the teen teach the parent a video game that they like for up to an hour a day for the next week. It's confidence building for the teen because they're in charge of the adults. And as the adult progresses, they may continue the practice if they like the video game which increases pro-social aspects. It turns the game into being an isolative event and then it's pro-social now that you guys do it together. A client actually suggested once when I engaged in a discussion about problems parents face in connecting with kids about things they don't know anything about. The client asked me, why not ask him, my son, to teach you? The client suggested. It's brilliant in his simplicity because the worse I was at video games, the more time we spent together. Sometimes you've got to ask kids for advice and they give you the greatest answers. And finally, 
Engaging in an extra game, such as Pokemon Go, Ghostbusters. I threw up a Facebook post last week and I got like 10 different responses from people. There's a ton out there. Just look up extra games and you'll find them on your own. They use smartphones and require walking around home, parks, local places. Yes, you can play Ghostbusters in your kitchen. You don't even have to leave the house. The most interesting part in the design for me is how pro-social these games are designed with parks and other landmarks as power-up places you need to get to to level up in some way. I'm actually a really big Harry Potter fan, hashtag HP, and excitingly, I'm waiting for the arrival of the Harry Potter version of an extra game, where I get to see some of my favorite characters and creatures from the Harry Potter world and quote-unquote catch them to stop them from exposing themselves to muggles like myself. Now we're going to shift to the end of our show. I appreciate you joining me today and look forward to interacting on Instagram and Facebook at MyTherapies or through the hashtag Topeka, hashtag anxiety, hashtag therapist. And I strive to respond to every single post. Thank you for joining us. Truly, thank you. Are you interested in meeting with us live? This month's podcast is sponsored in part by the 2019 KCAP Conference on Poverty. The Kansas Conference on Poverty brings together direct service workers, agency department management, agency board of directors, volunteers, and anti-poverty advocates from Kansas nonprofit organizations, faith-based agencies, government offices. Join us at the Capitol Plaza Hotel in Topeka, Kansas on July 17th and 18th in our live workshops. This year's conference theme is Working Towards Prosperity. I really, really enjoy this conference. It's going to be my third year attending and my second year speaking. Each year, I discover new resources I add to my referral list. I make friends with excellent people doing cool things in my state. When you're in the business of solving problems and making change, you sometimes need to recharge your batteries and give back to other workers. We hope to see you live and in real life and welcome you to our community of changemakers. Thanks so much for joining us on BNF Podcast. Check out this week's blog post for relevant links, resources, and homework. If this podcast helps you or your clients, continue to share our work with colleagues and consider purchasing CEUs at mytherapies.org slash BNF. Thank you so much for being here and sharing this space with us. Always remember, you are enough. See you next week.